Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, it's uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has, and I can't say that I truly miss finding time because it's very difficult to find time to podcast, but I am happy to be back recording because we, Bill and I at Blue White this weekend actually met someone who recognized us well, recognized Bill by his voice, and I said, "Oh, hi, I'm Nick." And he said, uh, "I don't. I'm sorry, I don't know you. So I need to. <laughs> well, <laughs> I need to make sure my voice is more well known." Well, no, he said he knew you. He just didn't recognize you by your voice like he did with me. So, uh, uh, yes, I, I, true, I apologize. True. I forget your name, uh, but thank you very much for you know being cool to Nick and I. Uh, before we introduce the third person on this episode of the pod, I, I do want to give one quick shout out to everyone we saw around. Uh, State College this weekend wearing Roar Lions Roar gear. I saw a couple of uh, t-shirts. I saw a dude in the Tutties hoodie. Nick was sitting next to me. I saw that. I saw a dude in the Penn State shirt. If you wore it uh, around this weekend, like I, it's a simple thing, but to us, we all really appreciate it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to probably thank you again at the end of this podcast, or I'm going to forget because I'm an idiot. Joining us on this edition of the podcast, uh, we got Blog Dad for this one. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, D-Generation X is proud to bring to you Chris Grovich. Chris, what's going on? Hi, guys. Yeah, thank you for all, everyone buying shirts. That's, yeah. that's awesome, and I wish I would have seen it myself. We were going to come up, but it was rainy, and I am weak, and we have three kids, so, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like, you know, having them uh, sick for two weeks. What was the... Uh, I'm what, also... Go ahead. I'm also going to be eating pizza during this, and I am woefully unprepared, so I'm uh, very glad to be here. All good. So what was, like, the order of... Like, reasons you couldn't come up between rainy, weak, and children. Like, from one to three, if you had to power rank them. I was, i go uh, weak first because I was really pushing. My kids had, a, my two oldest boys had a t-ball game uh, at 9 a.m. in Hershey. And it was just drizzling rain at like 45 degrees. And I am the one, I'm like, I don't know if we should go up there. Uh, you know, and so... I really, uh, I'm the one who's who got the ball rolling. It didn't take much convincing after a while. Okay, I, I mean, yeah, I was kind of, uh, uh, we're stalling right now because Nick uh, passed, he, he, he had to move on to his phone or something. Uh, but yeah, I didn't get up there until like one or so. By that time, you know, the weather had gotten nice. and It was a really good week uh, weekend for football. Uh, good weekend for tailgating, good weekend for getting out, watching the game. Uh, for those of uh, you who made it into the stadium or for those of us who uh, just made it in to watch esteemed members of the Penn State football media try to field punts, uh, it was... We need to discuss that, by the way. <laughs> we, need to, we need to carve out at least like five minutes for this. <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss that in a little But Before we do that, let's, let's talk about the game for a little bit. To the extent that we can... I want to start by putting on the usual disclaimer that we do whenever we talk after the spring game, whether it's writing, whether it's podcasting, whether it's just normal conversations between people, you cannot take away too terribly much from the spring game. Some guys are going to look really good against backup defenses. Some guys are going to look, you know, not quite as far along as they should be against a defense full of guys who are going to be starting in the Big Ten. It happens. So we're going to try and provide some analysis to this. Uh, the blue team defeated the white team 26-0. Uh, to zero. The standouts, 
through the air was Tommy Stevens, 17 for 24, 216 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, receiving Tommy Tuddies. Tommy Tuddies. Nick, are you back? Yes. Oh, hi. Nick, Hello. are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. I heard, I I heard tremendous crashing. Holly, Holly made steak, so I'm going to record this while I eat steak. How do you eat your steak, just so we can clear this up? What do you mean, how do I eat my steak? Like, how do I cook it? Yes. No, well, do you that, use your hands? Do you use a fork? Uh, like, what? I actually prefer to use my feet. Um, oh, God. So, no, Nick. Like, my to, dog's foot. Level of doneness. Uh, medium. What? I do cook it. Medium rare. Medium rare. Okay, good. You can stay on this episode of the pod. So, Tommy Stevens, 17 for 24, 216, three touchdowns. John Holland, Jawan Johnson had pretty good games. Uh, receiving Mark Allen had a nice game on the ground. And Daniel Pasquale and Blake Gilligan uh, both kicked the ball fairly well. Again, there's not too terribly much uh, that we could take away from this. So, I will throw this out there not expecting any answers, uh, but... Chris, we'll start with you because Nick probably has a steak in his mouth right now. Is, is there any like <laughs> big takeaway that you have from the blue-white game? Uh, uh, I mean, there are a few, yeah. I mean, Tommy Stevens, we're in good hands if something happens to Trace McSorley. I think that's pretty apparent now. It's not something we knew last year. Um, I know Jake Zembeck didn't look great. Uh, Tommy Stevens didn't look great in last year's game. Not to draw too close of a comparison to them. I think Stevens is the, the you know, better player and the better prospect. But, you know, like you were saying earlier, the, the, the stack is severely decked. Or, or, the, stack, the deck is severely stacked. <laughs> yes, I got it. Um, you know, against the white team. So, uh, John Holland, I think, was a bright spot. I think TJ Johnson looked good. Um, but other than that, you know, not too much. It's We still have no idea what's going on on the offensive line, where anybody's going to line up. Um, we don't know really what's happening behind Saquon Barkley. Miles Sanders was out with an injury. We presume he's the number two. And we really don't know who is going to be the three. And and maybe those, you know, maybe guys like Andre Robinson and Mark Allen still have a shot to be the primary backup. Who knows? So it, there, there's still a lot to be settled. But I think it's, you know, like you said, you don't want to draw too much from it. But there were some individual performances that I think were worth noting. Juwan Johnson... Living up to the hype was a big deal as well. Yeah, I mean, this this spring, I think, there, there, there's always this one spring hero. Uh, the one guy that you hear is kind of flexing on everyone and really looks like a superstar. Jawan Johnson was that guy, and he looked good during the spring game. I, I liked you mentioning uh, TJ Johnson and Aaron Monroe. Uh, you mentioned TJ Johnson and Aaron Monroe was the other guy alongside him to get a sack. I, I mean, we've heard... Plenty about the talent that Monroe has. We don't really know about Johnson, so it was cool to see them uh, out there doing some stuff. Nick, uh, going to you, uh, are, are there any big takeaways that uh, you can really, well, take away from this? No, because it's a spring game. But the one thing that um, Chris mentioned, John Holland, um, I was really impressed with John Holland. I, th- I think one of the things that you can tell a little bit about in a spring game is things like receivers route running abilities, just because that's something that's not going to change spring game to game situation. Uh, but I thought he looked really good and I've been kind of skeptical of him as a tight end since he was a recruit, re- since he was a recruit. Um, for those that don't remember, he was initially a defensive end, uh, but he also played t- tight end in high school and they gave him the option to do either one. Uh, but 
his tape as a tight end as a high schooler wasn't great. He was really, really raw, just kind of was bigger than everyone. But I thought on Saturday he actually looked pretty good running actual routes. So I'm pretty excited to see him as the number two behind Gasicki. Yeah, same. And that leads us into uh, we got a couple of questions for the uh, mailbag portion of this that we're going to do towards the end of this edition of the podcast. For now, uh, we're going to kind of try and weave in uh, some of the ones that we've got. First up from Dave M. Ree on Twitter. Do you think John Holland has secured the second team tight end position? Uh, and what players' performance uh, surprised you during the blue-white game? Uh, I'll start. I will also agree with TJ Johnson. I, I I vividly remember when he committed, there was a uh, there was an article out about him. I want to say in like his local paper or something, where he talked about how he really relishes the opportunity to you know man dudes up, like just go one on one against a wide receiver because he thinks he's going to win. And I think we saw a couple of flashes of that. Of course, I'm not you know, out here trying to say that he's the next Richard Sherman or anything, but the dude can play some I, – I think he can play some football. I think he's one of those guys who can end up, I don't know, this year, but somewhere down the line being a nice uh, surprise uh, down the road. Um, but, yeah, again, John Holland is probably the big dude. Uh, that second tight end spot is one of Penn State's more – interesting uh, position battles. Of course, Mike Kosicki could not have a uh, bigger stranglehold on that first one. Uh, but John Holland is a guy, you know, he's been around for a bit. Big, strong, physical dude. And he can, you know, if he's able to consistently catch the football, he may be one of, he may be the best well-rounded tight end. I'll say most well-rounded tight end on Penn State's roster. So, and he would have that going for him, for sure. Uh And, yeah, if he can get a little separation from uh, Danny Dalton and – is Tom Panko still around? I want to say yes. Believe so. Believe so, yes. And Tom Panko and Nick Bowers, if Nick Bowers is uh, able to get healthy. Yeah, I think that could be – I think he would be kind of the ideal uh, guy who's able to do a little bit of both from the uh, tight end position. Uh, Chris, let's go over to you. Think John Holland to secure that second tight end position. You already kind of answered who surprised you, so don't worry about that. Oh, so I so I have nothing then. Yes, John Holland's going to be your number two tight end. He looks smooth. He looked very natural. You know, it didn't you know didn't look forced at all. He he looked like a very uh, dynamic kind of player. That that you know, Penn State got very lucky last year with Kisicki's health. And, you know, that you can't really depend on and, and he almost went out what he had an ankle injury or foot injury um, towards the end of the season there, I think. But they need they need people there. And like you said, Bowers should be back by the fall. And there are a few other guys there that they, they need just in case something happens to Dukasiki. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, he, it's, it's his. It's his. It's his for good, I think. And, uh, yeah, Jarvis Miller is another guy who jumped out at me. Um, they're going to be looking for answers outside linebacker. He is, he, I don't think he's looking at a starting role, but somebody who could come in and, and, and certainly be a useful player on the defense. TJ Johnson, you mentioned, I love Mark Allen. Mark Allen picked up a blitz and just liquefied some poor dude on the white team. Um, I really wish they could find this – is, this is like my cause for 2017. Mm-hmm. I want them to find some sort of package – for Mark Allen, because I love him dearly, and I think he could be a really, really good contributor 
if they would just give him like give him like five plays, something, you know. Mark Allen, my guy. Yeah, sure. I mean, Mark Allen is Liquid, a, liquefied is a really underrated term to use to talking about blocking. Or just he cut. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who it was, but even when the play was happening live, Matt Millen like when he stops like, whoa, nice pickup. And they they replayed it. I he cut that kid in half. I don't know who it was, but um, yeah, little Mark Allen, love love that guy. Well, pass blocking has always kind of been his like outside of his you know short stature and agility. Like the thing that he's always been surprisingly really good at is his ability to pass block. So if he's gonna like, I'm going to predict right now there's going to be at least one moment this year. Where Mark Allen just nukes some poor outside linebacker who's like, oh, look at this little dude. I can just kind of like take it for granted. And we're all going to like stand up and try and storm the field like it's Rucker Park or something like that. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I, think that, yes. I think that's partly why he's such a good blocker because people just look at him and they're like, ah, he can't block. But he gets under you. You know? Yeah, he does <laughs> that. 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 Nick, do you have any... He, he, tunnels, he tunnels in the earth underneath you. <laughs> he does. Uh, Nick, do you, have, uh, do you have anything to add? or? Uh, I don't think so. I think you guys pretty much covered it all. All right. Uh, so uh, before we move on to the next thing, uh, Nick, actually, you know what? You do have something to add because I want you to very, very briefly discuss how just because Tommy Stevens had a really good blue-white game, that does not mean that he, like, should be handed the starting job yesterday. <sighs> okay. Well, first of all, yes, Tommy Stevens looked awesome. In a vacuum, yes, Tommy Stevens might be just as successful with this offense as Trace McSorley is. I'm, that's, I'm not saying that's impossible, because it totally is possible. We don't know. In an alternate universe... Maybe Tommy Stevens is even better than Trace McSorley. Who knows? But we just saw Trace McSorley throw for a whole ton of yards. We saw him lead this team to the Rose Bowl, and we saw them lose just really because the defense kind of broke down due to injuries and suspensions at the end. You can't just take that guy out and replace him based on the spring game. And I know people will say, oh, it's not just the spring game. It's what we've seen in time. We haven't seen anything from Tommy Stevens in an actual game, aside from his ability to bulldoze Desmond King, which is awesome, and there should be packages for it every single game. But we have not seen enough of him as a quarterback in an actual game situation to really be able to say, Tommy Stevens is better than Trace McSorley. If one game, Trace McSorley maybe tweaks an ankle or something, and Tommy Stevens goes in there and he just blows the doors off of everyone, then you can maybe start having the conversation. But right now, there's just not enough to really justify saying that Tommy Stevens should be replacing Trace McSorley. And I love the kid. I love the kid. I was rooting for him in a quarterback competition last year, but it's you you can't you just can't do it right now. Yeah. But Nick. Oh, go, he's go bigger. Ahead. He's bigger. <laughs> he's stronger. He's faster. He throws a better ball, and I guess that's it. But you're going to hear that. You're going to. I mean, we're hearing it on the site a little bit now. But you know, they're they're people love the backups. They're going to be hearing right. it. The minute Trace has a shaky game, the calls will start. Even though he led the team to the freaking Rose Bowl, so it's fun. It's a tradition. Yeah, I, I I'm so so. How do I put this? It, 
if for Trace McSorley to not be the Penn State starter heading into next year, it's going to probably take some some kind of injury for him, which I, I, I mean Trace kind of seems like he seems like the kind of dude who like if you saw the lower half of his body, like he seems like that one knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, who like <laughs> you cut his arm off and oh, it's just a flesh wound. Like he just seems like that kind of dude. So it's going to take some kind of serious injury where he cannot play through it, or it's going to have to be a mix of Tommy Stevens being so incredibly and uh, just like mind-blowingly impressive in camp mixed with McSorley uh, getting the yips or something. Like it's going to have to be a multitude of factors. It's not going to happen because uh, last year, Tommy Stevens, I don't have the number up, but in his incredibly small sample size at quarterback, he was impressive. He was two for three, 36 yards. And as we learned before we came to the podcast, he was third on the team in rushing. None of us knew that. Uh, well, Chris did, but he also didn't really believe it. So, so I yeah. didn't. No. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I, we all think Tommy Stevens is great. If anything happens to Trace McSorley, we all feel really good about number two getting the football and going out there and executing the offense. And then maybe making a case for himself when he has to come in. But James Franklin has been adamant that Trace McSorley is his quarterback. And it would just be it, – it would be such a head-scratching decision, like Chris said, to say, guy who led us to the Rose Bowl, who – was just fantastic last year. Who's getting Heisman buzz going into this year? Was the best <laughs> quarterback in the Big Ten last year? Okay, Heisman it's dark so, It's so buzz. ridiculous yeah. on its face. Like right. it's it's yeah. just so ridiculous on its face. But but Tommy oh, Stevens he's bigger. He's stronger. He's faster. Yeah, and yeah. he's like and he's like good. That's, like that's the thing. Like Tommy Stevens is legitimately good at playing football. It's not like I, he's a small. So far, he's a small sample size hero who was close last year and didn't get the job, and now he has another year under his belt. Well, so does Trace McSorley, and Trace McSorley also has a year worth of experience, and Trace McSorley also has 3,614 passing yards and a <laughs> touchdown-to-interception ratio of about 4-1. to one. So, to- Tommy Stevens, if he gets his chance, we have no doubt he's going to impress us, but he's not going to be the starting quarter. I feel very confident in saying that. They can use him with confidence. Uh, they're, they're going if they to, need to. They're going to find some fun ways to get him out there. I completely agree on that. I don't think he's going to get, you know just ride on the bench and all right, Tommy, we're up, you know, we're up sixty to nothing on Pitt. You should go out there right now. There's a minute and fifteen left in the third Can't quarter. Can't wait. Can I, the fourth and quarter. score four more touchdowns. Right. I, I, hold I was, on. Hold on. Can I can I give you something that will be put on a message board in like October? Oh no. Tommy Stevens. Short yardage quarterback. Ooh, I dig it. We have, oh, we've, just like just like Texas. Uh, we've Nick, Nick and I have thrown out, and I think maybe Matt is too. The comparison to like Tim Tebow, where just use him in weird ways, like Florida did. But we're gonna stop talking because we got to the Tim Tebow portion of the pro- program. Next up, uh, we're gonna talk about the draft. Really. A worse, a worse Chris Leak and a worse Tim Tebow. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what what everyone needs. 
We're going to get to the draft portion of the program now. Uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday, that means the first round of the NFL draft is tonight. Uh, I f- don't think Chris Godwin's going to go in the first round, but uh, by the looks of it, he is the number 55 overall prospect for CBS Sports, the number two uh, wide receiver. Additionally, let me scroll down to defensive end here right quick and see if they have a Garrett Sickles with some kind of a draftable grade. But those are really the only two guys on Penn State I can imagine getting drafted. They have Sickles as the number 268 guy overall and a you know, potential seventh rounder. He'll, he'll land somewhere. He'll be fine, whatever. So, I, I, I mean, Nick, do you like, – like, you wanted to talk about the draft a lot. I know you love the NFL draft. Let's hear your draft takes, and we'll save the take that our friend Seth Fisher wants us to discuss after. I wouldn't say I love the NFL draft, but the NFL draft fascinates me because I don't under first of all, the entire the time from when the college season ends to when the draft starts is the most absurd time of year because people are literally rising and falling up and down draft boards according to all these draft analysts, but they're not doing anything. They're not changing. I don't understand. It's you're not nothing that radically new is being discovered. I don't know. It infuriates me, but irrelevant. So there, uh, it's going to be an interesting year for Penn State for the draft because Chris Godwin. I think. I mean, I did the piece today talking about where he's being mock drafted pretty comfortably. Is landing in that late second, early third round area by mock drafters, but. Chris Godwin, I know we talked with Matt Harmon on the podcast a few weeks ago and talked about why he was so intrigued by Godwin, and he just seems like the kind of guy that's going to intrigue NFL execs. Like He's the kind of guy who I could easily see sneaking into the first round because he, you know what you're getting with him. The NFL is all about drafting for what you, what you can see, what you can project. So if, when you look at Chris Godwin, you know exactly what you're going to get from him if you bring him to your NFL team. There's no questions about it. Like he's a very, he's about, he's pr- really as safe as a prospect as there is in this draft. Yeah, I th- there is nothing that you said that I disagree with. Uh, Chris, is there anything in there that you uh, raised your eyebrows at, or do you generally agree on Godwin? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a ton of NFL draft takes, but I, I could very easily see somebody at the bottom of the first round uh, either feeling a little smart or, or you know, sort of being risk-averse and, and looking at Godwin. Um, like you said, there's enough tape on him, the, the, he, no character concerns. You know, there's, he's as, as solid as a pick as you can get. And, uh, yeah, I hope he sneaks in there. Um, my Philadelphia Eagles are picking, what, 14th? Something like that? Something like that, yes. I don't even know what they need. They need everything, and I hope they get Delvin. I hope they get Delvin Cook. All right. Well, now we are at the portion of the program where we take a question from our buddy uh, Seth Fisher, the associate editor of MGO Wars. Um, let's <laughs> Wars dot com. Jim Harbaugh gave up uh, stuff to the Pope today. The spot was uh, short. The spot was not good. Jim Harbaugh giving stuff to the Pope proves he's a globalist because there is nobody more global than the leader of an organized religion. Um, so Seth wants to know, is Jabril Peppers good? Um, I think he is a tremendous athlete. Uh, Nick, what do you think? So there are two sides to this question. Number one, 
at the question is Jabril Peppers good? That's that's easy to answer. Yes, he's very good. He's a very good football player. He's an unbelievable athlete. I I mean, he's really a one of a kind athlete. Um, like but, Rob Van Dam. <laughs> but but that but that is yes. not the same question as will he be successful in the NFL, which I feel like is a question that should be attached to every prospect at this time of year. And it actually it brings me to something that uh, they were talking about on the solid verbal actually this week, talking about how the NFL has historically and especially in most recent years, because these kind of guys have been popping up in recent years. The NFL is really, really bad at finding places for tweeners, whether it's on Mm. offense or defense. So the one example that really comes to mind for me um, is uh, what's his face from Washington, Shaq Thompson from uh university of washington he was a stud in college he could do everything he was he ran the ball he played linebacker i think he even returned some kicks and some punts for washington too but he was just an unbelievable athlete overall and he was drafted in um what year was he drafted 2015 so it's only been it's only been a few years since he was drafted, but he was a first-round pick, and he was the kind of guy that you expect, oh, okay, he's such this crazy athlete, they'll be able to find something to do with him right away, and they didn't, and they haven't. They're still trying to find out exactly what he is. And that's, I mean, I don't see how, I'm worried that Peppers is going to go a similar route. I really like Jabril Peppers. I think he's really fun to watch, and if he goes to the right team, I think he could be really, really good. But if he goes to a team that maybe changes coaches in a year or two, which has happened so often in the NFL or something like that, I feel like he's just going to be moved around so much that he's going to get lost, and he's never going to find a true thing to specialize in aside from punt and kick returns. And then all of a sudden you have another Cordero Patterson, who's pretty useless outside of those kick and punt returns so for him i I, more than really anyone else aside from quarterbacks really i think it's about the fit about which team he ends up with because if he goes to a team where well a team like i don't know a team like the seahawks or a team like the patriots or a team like the packers like teams that historically have drafted well because if they're if a team like that's picking him then you know that they have a specific purpose for him and hopefully that'll that purpose will be being a slot corner and a return man because i think that's where he fits best but if he goes earlier to a team like if say the browns end up trading down or trading up at some point taking jabril peppers i don't think that bodes great for him or just it's it's such an interesting thing for him because it's so, so dependent on the team that picks him, maybe more than maybe any other prospect in this draft. Chris, what would MGO Wars Alex Jones say about Jabril Peppers? Oh, this is Brian Cook. This is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Brian. I love you, Brian. Um, no, I, I mean, I, uh, I had, it's too easy. Um, Jabril Peppers is very good. And, so much, like Nick said, so much of what determines your NFL success is where you end up that that first year, and it's crazy. But you know, there there are you know there are people who find the you know players who find themselves uh, after their first or second teams. But geez, you know, if you pick Peppers, you have to pick him with a purpose, not just because he's a great athlete. You have to have a role in mind for him, and and whatever that is, you just have to be you know solid in your thinking on it and i i hope he does very well and yeah i mean great athlete can do a lot i'd like to 
to see an imaginative, you know, um, an imaginative NFL team get a hold of him because you know that that's like like Nick started off saying like the NFL is just so oh god it's so boring. <laughs> I really don't even I barely even follow it anymore because it's just so sterile and stupid and boring. And um, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm ending it on that note. Jabril, Jabril Peppers is good. I'm sorry, Brian Cook. There were government forces working against his Heisman campaign, and that's all I'm going to say, uh, because it's time uh, that we talk recruiting. Uh, we'll talk. First off, we'll have Nick go really quick on uh, the two players that committed over the weekend, Antoine Reed from Michigan, and Nana Asiedu. Uh, we'll, we have some time to figure out how to say that correctly, uh, from Virginia. Uh, Penn State lost, uh, you know, three, four-star offensive linemen, Chris Bleich, uh, a few days prior. And then, Nick, I, for, for how good of a player Bleich is, I think Penn State made up for it and then some. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the big press here, obviously, is Nana Asiedu. I, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but he is really, really good. And he's really, really good as an offensive lineman now at about 265 pounds, which is not a ton for an offensive tackle, but he just has so much upper body power that he's able to just dominate everyone he plays against. Plays against, and uh, Virginia has some pretty good football teams. Uh, there's, it's not the great, it's not like a Florida level competition or Ohio level competition, but oh, well, maybe Ohio level, I don't know. But Virginia has pretty good football teams, and for him to be as dominant of a blocker as he is over here is pretty impressive when he's nowhere near the uh, weight that he's going to end up being at, at Penn state. So I think that's part of the reason why you have to be really, really excited about him because once he gets into a college strength and conditioning program, he's going to be an absolute monster of a human being. And he could definitely be someone who ends up at least a two or three year starter, depending on what happens in front of him. And then uh, Antoine Reed, not as highly touted as uh, Asiedu, but still a very good prospect. He's a four-star by the 247 rankings, just misses four-star status by the 247 composite. But again, he's somebody who probably has a lot of potential to be bumped higher in the rankings. Not that that really matters. Uh, but I think he's somebody, he's 6'5", uh, 326, so he already has a lot more weight than Nana does. So I think the staff is probably looking at him potentially as a swing guy, potentially having the ability to play guard as well. That's kind of getting a little tall for the position, but I think he'd probably be able to handle it. Either way, though, Penn State picked up two really, really good prospects. Um, losing Chris Bleich, I mean, it it's not... No, you don't want to lose anyone, really, obviously. You want to keep everyone you can once they commit, but... Right. For a situation that looked like that one, it looked like he was gone anyway. Penn State really did as I mean, did as impressive of a job as they possibly could have in replacing him and replacing him immediately to boot. Yeah, and, and like you said, this isn't meant to be uh, an indictment against Chris Bleich or something. It's just that when teams lose kids, they're you just don't see them bounce back as quickly as Penn State did. One, with a kid in Reed who I actually, you know, walking around town over the weekend, you'll see recruits every now and then. I saw him. He is 
huge. It's like hilarious how large this kid is. But he, <laughs> I mean, he's a, in terms of you know stars and ratings and all that about the same level. And then Nana, like he's the kind of guy who can step in and with a little bit of seasoning because he is two hundred and sixty five pounds, but he's a really talented kid already. He's going to get really good really quickly once he's in a college strength and conditioning program. So Penn State, on that front, it was a great weekend. Uh, But on another front, it was not. Five-star defensive end, Harrisburg kid, top five prospect. uh, Someone who I think we agree is probably going to be in the NFL someday. Uh, Micah Parsons was the first commit in this class. Uh, for the longest time, it seemed like his commitment was wavering. Uh, it seemed like a bunch of other schools were getting in his ear and really piquing his interest. And eventually he pulled the trigger and decided he wanted to open things up. He cited uh, he wanted to focus on his senior year of high school. He wanted to go into that really not tied to a program. And he also seems like he wants to see the landscape of... Uh, college football recruiting and what various schools can do for him. I know Ohio State, Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, those are the kinds of schools that have been kind of tossed around for him. So, Nick, having said that, I'm going to give you the floor. Say whatever you want to say about this because you're the guy who covers recruiting. You're the guy who, uh, better than Chris or myself, knows how recruit. Has a sense of what recruits think, both from kind of the Micah perspective and from the perspective of uh, some of the other recruits in this class. Uh, if y- you know what you think they might think about this. Uh, well, as far as what other recruits in the class think, I think the general consensus is that it wasn't unexpected. Uh, I mean, they're smart kids; they can read between the lines. It was pretty clear that he was at the very least going to continue taking visits all the way up until has up until his latest national signing day. So in that regard, I don't think it surprised anyone that he decommitted Uh, from his perspective. I mean, I it's, it's, it's what was, it was the right decision because if he really wanted to be a hundred percent committed to Penn state, then he would be committed. But I don't think he is right now. He's or to, taking or visits to clear, he, or to any other school, like or to like, any school. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I'm not saying that. Yeah. It's if you like a lot of people did, I've heard so many different things from different recruits about their feelings on what a verbal commitment really means. There's some that say, Oh, I would never, ever, ever back out on a verbal commitment. I'm giving my word. What's what good is it if I give a verbal commitment if I'm just going to back out on it? And then I've heard some say, well, it's not that's not really I mean, it, verbal commitment. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's verbal. It's not it's nothing set in stone. It's the way college football is now. Coaches want those verbal commitments. They want that positive and public uh, momentum for their program. So just as much as as much as people will uh will get angry at kids for backing out on decommitments or flipped commitments or just opening reopening their recruitment up you need to kind of direct some of that same energy towards coaches because the entire industry right now is based on getting verbal commitments when it doesn't mean anything until they're signing on the dotted line so 
I don't I don't think Parsons did anything wrong here. I think he is somebody who wants to continue taking visits and he wants to do that as an uncommitted recruit and that's totally fine. Will he eventually circle back around to Penn State? I don't know. It's hard hard to say. I will say that I think Penn State will still be in it till the end unlike um, a few Florida State or Georgia blogs seem to think they I've seen a few places that think Penn State's completely out of it, but I think this is in a different situation because I think Parsons really still does love Penn State. <clears throat> and I've heard from a couple of recruits in the class that said uh, he told them that Ohio State and Penn State are still his top two schools. So I don't I think it's far from over. I would say right now if I was making a pick, I would probably say Ohio State, but that's I mean, that's fresh off of a decommitment. I think if you give it a while, let him take some visits, let things kind of shake out a little bit more, I think we could see him end up back in this class when all is said and done. Yeah, and Chris, I I, want to go to you for a second because I I think we kind of forget that even though Parsons has since backed out, and of course, like Nick has mentioned, it's totally possible that he still ends up in his class. At the time that he committed, so in, you know, February of, February, March, April, whatever it was, of 2016, I I mean, that had such, that was so important for Penn State. And I I just want to know if you could, you know, elaborate on what it was about his commitment. It's kind of stating the obvious, but why his commitment was so important for James Franklin. Well, let's let's remind everybody where Penn State was at that time. You know, <clears throat> James Franklin was popping up on some bad but out there hot seat lists. Um, the program didn't have a ton of momentum, and then suddenly Micah Parsons came along, and Penn State suddenly started putting together some really solid recruiting classes. <clears throat> and you know, in my opinion. Nick knows this stuff much more than I do, and he did an excellent job explaining everything that's that goes into recruiting generally and and Parsons specifically. I I think he's probably going to end up at Ohio State, but I think at the same time the momentum that his commitment started, along with whoever's going whoever Penn State's going to get to replace him in this class, will be roughly equal. I mean, they're, they're probably going to get somebody really really good. You know, four stars. I know Nick has put a you know a big board up on the on the site recently with some of the names. They're going to find someone to take that spot, and it's not going to be very hard because Penn State's going to be very very good this year. So it it may end up being a wash in the end. And if if Parsons does come back around and chooses Penn State, even better. That that that'd be fantastic, and and everyone would be happy to have him. Um, but you know, he, he's enjoying the process. He likes being recruited. He likes the attention. He likes trolling people on Twitter and that's fine. You know, that's, he's, he's entitled to that. He should be enjoying this process because it only happens once and very, very few people, very, very few division one, you know, FBS caliber athletes get his sort of attention. So enjoy it and, you know, make a decision based on the best information you can and, uh, have fun in Columbus, but hopefully, you know, hopefully not. But ha- have fun. Have fun in Columbus when Penn State goes there in your city. Yes. There we yeah. Go. Uh, Nick, last thing on this topic, question we got from Twitter user at Great Scott. Do you think the conversation that Humphrey said he had with the staff about visits can be extrapolated to Parsons? So if I'm 
understanding the question correctly, he's asking that uh, do we think the comp basically do we think the staff is applying the same standard for visits to Humphreys as they are to Parsons? We think that's kind of what he's getting at. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So if you didn't get a chance to read, I did an interview with Isaiah Humphreys. It's up on the site. Uh, What he told me. So he's somebody who even before he committed, when he dropped his top eight, he told me that he fully intended on taking all of his official visits, not because he planned on being unsure about the school that he committed to, but because as a recruit of his stature, as a kid who has a father who went through the process, knows what it's like, he feels that he earned those visits. And frankly, I'm inclined to agree. It's if somebody, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, if somebody's given you a free, if someone's given you a free ticket to come visit their beautiful college, uh, why would you not go? Like, if there's, there's no good reason not to. So, his that those were always his feelings, and I know there's seemed to be a little bit of a rift between he and the coaching staff on that topic because, as we've seen, this Penn State coaching staff really is not a fan of their commits taking visits elsewhere. Uh, but Humphreys told me that this past weekend he was able to talk to Coach Franklin and he was able to talk to Terry Smith. And they uh, came to, <clears throat> at least what Humphrey says, just some sort of a solid agreement that he's going to take three official visits. Um, but he's taking them 100% committed to Penn State. He has no plans on looking elsewhere, but he just wants to do it because it's a free visit somewhere. And why not take it? And his thoughts on it, which also I agree with, are... If you're a school and you're you have a kid committed, you shouldn't have a problem with them visiting somewhere because it's either going to reaffirm their commitment to you or it's going to make them realize that maybe your school's not where they wanted to go, and you don't want somebody with any doubts in their mind as uh, a player in your program. So really, allowing kids to take those visits is kind of a way to reassure them. But there's also a lot of things that coaches can do to kind of try to swindle a kid into getting into their program. So I understand both sides of it. But I I would assume that the staff told Humphreys something along the line of, hey, we know you're taking visits. Um, I would assume that they said something similar to Humphreys that they said to Parsons. But I think what Parsons wants to do is a little bit different than what Isaiah wants to do because Isaiah just wants to take these free visits – Parsons, I think, is legitimately still unsure about where he wants to go, go to school, hence the decommitments. So I think having not having that commitment on his back just gives him a little more freedom to really feel like himself and to really be able to take those visits with a completely open mind. Yeah, and uh, last thing on the subject, and I, I think this is a good reminder, Penn State still is the number three recruiting class in the country. Uh, still has Justin Fields, who... Uh, I'm sorry that I'm going to bring Nick this joy is being called a taller Russell Wilson uh, still as Ricky Slade. <laughs> I, I mean, they have two five-star kids at the top of this class. They have three top 100 prospects. This class is going to be really good. If Mike Parsons is go ahead. I'm sorry. What is Slade's uh, national ranking at running back? Is he a top running back? Uh, he's the top all purpose back in the country. Yes. That's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. So yeah, yeah, it's okay. This, this class is going to be really good. If Micah Parsons is part of it, it's going to be really, 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 really good. If not, and it's, you know, guys like Dorian Hardy at defensive end, totally fine. That's still going to be a really good class. Parsons is just the guy who could possibly take this from 
a, an excellent class to an all-time class. I, I think that's probably where Penn State's at right now. He He's a transcendent athlete, really. Yes. I mean, that is what it comes down to for, for, for his age and his, you know, sport or whatever. He's, he's just a guy that's on a different plane. There are only a handful of them in the country. You want him on your team. It's been a long time since Penn State had one. But they all nice but recently they've all been going to Ohio State. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's fair to also say that while he is a transcendent athlete, he's not without need of coaching. He definitely right. does need he definitely does need some serious coaching to further refine. I mean, he's going to be a defensive end primarily, so he definitely does need some coaching to really refine those pass rushing techniques because there is a little bit of him getting away just on pure size and speed and talent right now. So he's he definitely needs coaching for sure at the next level as well so uh we have five questions here for the mailbag portion of our podcast we're going to go through most of them pretty quickly uh first things first from our old pal psu toaster uh so this question comes with the logo uh toaster it's a two-part toast tutty's toast yes uh that's i i saw that i'm actually the person so for those of you who don't know, our friend at PSU Toaster uh, tweeted at Joe Moore. Lo- hold on. I, I love that anybody has to explain the PSU Toaster account. So please, please go on. I'm sorry. Our, our friend and my like real life friend at PSU Toaster uh, likes to make jokes about uh, toast with the Penn State logo on it. And he made one of those jokes and he tweeted it at Joe Moorhead. It was something to the extent of, hey, at Joe Moorhead's handle. Would you like some toast with the Penn State logo on it? And then Joe Moorhead responded a few hours later and just said, putty toast. Um, and <laughs> here's the thing uh, about Toaster. In his real life, he used to wake up very early in the morning. So he was actually like getting ready for bed when I texted him like an all cap profanity. And he responded by going, wait, what are you talking about? Uh, I'm trying to see if I can find this exact, exactly. Uh, I texted him, um, let's see, just his name, and then he goes, what? And then I go, look at your mentions, and then in all caps he goes, what the F words? So it, it was a fun <laughs> night, but the toaster would like to know who will be the biggest surprise this season and how many students black out per game. Um, none of us can say that second one with uh, too much certainty. Uh, or any certainty, actually, now that I think about it. So who will be the biggest surprise this season? Uh, I, I think it kind of depends how you're defining surprise. Uh, I'm going to say the guy that we're talking about the least. So I, I don't know if it can really be a starter uh, or if it can be, you know, a guy like a Lamont Wade, uh, like a Juwan Johnson, who's gotten so much praise, or maybe even like a John Holland who got so much praise during the offseason. So that, that's tough. I'm going to go with Nick Scott because I, I'm thinking more and more. Ooh. There just seems like there's something about him that's going to lead to him getting that uh, safety spot next to Marcus Allen. Like whether it's I, – I mean obviously it's that he can play a little. But he also just seems to have that little bit of extra swagger, that little bit of extra leadership. He's been in the program for a while. He's a smart dude. He spent the last year learning how to play that position. I think he ends up winning the safety job next uh, to next to Marcus Allen. And if he doesn't, my other pick for this would be Garrett Taylor, who is the most talented dude in the secondary other than Lamont Wade. 
You love Garrett Taylor. I love Garrett Taylor. His high school tape. <laughs> he, he, he is so your happy. Mark Allen. He, sure. Yes. <laughs> Can I give you two? I, I mean, I just did. So. Okay. Um, DeAndre Tompkins, I think, is due for a very big year, and also Koa Farmer, guys who are going to be starters, but we're not really talking about. I think Koa Farmer's in for a, a very, very, very big year. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, I love Koa Farmer, so I'd be very happy about this. Uh, Nick, what do you think? My answer is similar to Bill's, I except I'm just going to say whoever wins that other safety spot. I think there's some really interesting names there, whether it's Nick Scott, whether it's uh, Garrett Taylor, whether it's Aaron, Mon- Aaron Monroe, maybe it's um, a support. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone like Troy Apke who just ends up blowing up as a senior. I mean, we've seen it what for like four years in a row now that it's somebody yeah. in the Penn state secondary who's just been there hanging around, hasn't really been great. And then senior year, just boom, just is kind of awesome. So I wouldn't count him out either. So I'd say whoever wins the other safety spot. All right, moving on. Chris, uh, Chris what okay. do your kids think? <laughs> uh, my wife is yelling at them right now. Like I can, I can poke <laughs> my head out for a second and she's going to say, are you done? Okay. Uh, <laughs> How's everybody so- doing out here? So we'll go quick. Uh, the next one, I actually can't answer this, uh, but from Kevin on CFB, Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3, uh, can either of you answer? I never played either one. Nick? I, did, I didn't play a ton of Mega Man, but I feel like I remember 2 a little more, and like most things, the second of them is always the best one, so I'm going to say Mega Man 2. All right. Kevin, we hope you're satisfied with that answer because it was really bad. Uh, Kevin gets his money back. Kevin, Yes, Kevin... <laughs> uh, Send us an invoice uh, from Rob Volano at the underscore, 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 underscore third. Which of the redshirt senior running backs gets the boot next year? Alan Thomas or both? I, that, that's tough. I, the I, boot. The boot. Sir, how dare you? I, was, I, I can't <laughs> imagine that they tell Mark Allen to leave. Like, I, I mean, no. I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them tried to grad transfer. Like, I don't think they care front either guy if that's what the question is implying. But if you're asking me which guy I think is more likely to not be here next season, I'd probably say Jonathan Thomas. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think. I agree just because, I mean, Jonathan Thomas has been bounced back and forth from linebacker to running back, I think, three times now. So at a certain point, you just have to wonder – are they just kind of using him for numbers for practice at this point? Which is, I mean, it's kind of sad. He had a lot of potential, but he had picked up an injury as a freshman, which I think kind of derailed his whole uh, trajectory. So I'd say if one of those two is to be gone, I think Thomas is the easy choice. I don't think Mark Allen's going anywhere, but I don't think either one, I, I mean, I don't particularly think either one is going to be gone. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what do you think? I refuse to answer the question based on, on morals alone. Oh, we got it's bedtime. Yeah. All right. Uh, I just wiped, I just wiped a butt by the way. All right. So how about this, Chris, I will give you the last two questions. Uh, and then yes. you give me one word answers and then you just get up and leave <laughs> before I get divorced. Yes. Yes. Uh, who is Penn state's next deep threat? Oh, KJ Hamler and best running back in Penn state history. Oh, jeez. Uh, you you really? seem very uniquely qualified to answer this one. So. Uh, I am old. God, John Carter was so good, but he had the best offensive line. 
Um, Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, blog dad Chris Grovich. He has to go be a real dad. Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Internet. Good night. Be good, brother. Bye. All right. Now that uh, Chris is gone, uh, so that first question was, again, from our pal Seth Fisher at MGoWars.com. Uh, who is Penn State's next deep threat? I, th- this one's tough. I mean, I like the KJ Hamler answer, but I don't think it's him. I do want to hear who you think it is, Nick. Um, I, hmm. I mean, I yeah. think it, this year, I think it, by default, will end up being DeAndre Tompkins. Just because he's the quickest of the receivers, I think he probably has the ability to get open deep the easiest. But Penn State's deep ball strategy, at least last year, wasn't necessarily get the guy open deep. It was more get him in a one-on-one deep. So in that case, I don't know if Tompkins is the best guy for that situation, just because he's not huge. Um, Going forward, moving in the future, I mean, if we want to look in the distance future... Uh, I think Justin Shorter is going to be that guy Ooh. in a few years. But yes, uh, yes. This this year, I think it's safe to say that Side Blacknell picks up the slack where picks up the slack from Chris Godwin. Yeah, I'm. Th- there's one because it's not, it's not like a true true right. deep threat. Like it's when when you different. hear deep threat, I, I mean you're inclined to think the guy whose role is to take the top off the defense. Yes, like that is. Their specified yeah. role, if they have to, uh, if you have to like shoehorn him into a role, it's the guy who just runs past dudes and averages thirty-five yards of reception. Yes, yes. So when I hear that, I, I mean Saeed Blacknall. I don't think he's going to do that because I think he's going to have be, be eh, can't speak, be a little more well-rounded. I think the same thing for DeAndre Tompkins. So let's go a little bit outside the box. If we're talking about a guy who's able to break a game open with his speed and get by defensive backs, why not Brandon Polk? Why not say him, who came into Penn State with speed that, you know, I, I mean, it was, he, he's one of the fastest dudes, like, in all of uh, his recruiting class. The dude can just blow by dudes. And we saw him during his freshman year. There were moments where, you know, he was fast, he was getting past guys, then he got in, he, he sounded like he got banged up, he wasn't able to play last year. What if he's back to full health this year, and what if James Franklin goes, okay, we'll have him come in on, you know, in moments where we need that kind of deep shot, and when he comes in, he runs past dudes and Trace chucks it and expects him to be there. I, th- I, I think that may be a bit of wishful thinking. I mean, we're still trying to figure out exactly what Brandon Polk is. Um, I think he's definitely better uh, than a guy who was used exclusively on jet sweeps. Um, yes. But yeah, he's. I, I think he's a guy who, he's a bit of an outside-the-box pick, but I'm going to pick him anyway because this podcast has been going on for an hour, and who cares? Uh, final question, best running back in Penn State history. And the downside uh, with having Chris leave is Nick and I are not good Penn State football historians. So, Nick, do you just want to say Saquon Barkley? Uh, I'm tempted to. I'm also a Seahawks fan, though, and I know a little bit about Kurt Warner because of that. So I 
uh, ask me at the end of the season. And, <laughs> ask ask me at the end of the season, and I'll probably say Saquon Barkley. Right this second, I'll say Kurt Warner. Sure, I'll say Kijana because why not? But like I, I I do actually want to use this as a chance to talk about Saquon a little bit. Nick, you were looking up the uh, the numbers. How many yards does he need uh, to pass Evan Royster for the most rushing yards in Penn State history? I'm not looking at the screen anymore, but I believe it was 1,361. It was something like that. His freshman it was thir- year... It was 13-something, yes. so that, that area. His freshman year, he had basically... Yeah, he had basically 1,100 rushing yards. Last year, he basically had 1,500 rushing yards. For him to get the the amount of yardage on the ground he needs, it's really just do what you've been doing the last two years and hope that you know Penn State isn't try, going to try and do the, uh, you know, we want to keep Saquon fresh. We're not going to run him X number of times. We want more carries for Andre. We want more carries for Miles, that sort of thing. But which is certainly possible. I think that's his main. I sure. think that's his main. Uh, the main thing that could hold him back. Yeah, and that, and that's not necessarily a bad idea. Like I, I think you can actually argue it's a pretty good idea. But from the perspective of uh, setting records and things like that, that, that's really the only place where it could mess him up a bit. I'm, I'm trying to find the record for. Uh, career t- uh, rushing touchdowns but I can't uh, so hopefully Saquon Barkley runs for 2,000 yards 25 touchdowns with Eisman because then I think it's kind of an open and shut case uh, so yeah Nick I think we're done yeah well can we talk about the Scooby-Doo question quick yeah sure go ahead uh, here let me let me pull it up uh, really quickly we got a question uh, from, from in- good Matt in- from in- uh, yes uh, intern Matt aka at a.k.a. Uh, Matt Flip42 on Twitter, a.k.a. Good Matt, uh, a.k.a. Young, young Matt intern thing. We're going to try and just give him as many nicknames as possible. Hi, blog. Young Matt intern thing. Young Matt intern thing, yes. Uh, hi, blog. What do you think of the live-action Scooby-Doo movies? I um, have zero opinion on this because I saw them when I was in middle school. Uh, I'm going to pull up the cap. But if I remember correctly, the cast for those wasn't like terrible. I have the cast here. So Neil Fanning was Neil Fanning was the voice of Scooby Doo. Uh, Matthew Lillard was Shaggy. However, yes. Jim Carrey was initially attached to play Shaggy. Um, obviously, did not end up doing it. Mike Myers also expressed interest in playing Shaggy. Freddie Prinze Jr. was Fred. Yeah, I was going to say he doesn't. Sarah, those two names yeah. doesn't don't really fit in with the rest of the cast of like no, not at young all. People, not at all. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller was Daphne. Linda Cardellini was Velma. I had to look up who that was exactly. I found out she is the person who played um, uh, Clint Barton's wife in Avengers: Age of Ultron. So I can put, I can remember that now. But overall, her, I thought I always get her oops. confused with the actress who played Gretchen Wieners in Mean Girls. But that's more because their mm-hmm. names are somewhat similar. That's true. But overall, I thought the Scooby-Doo movies, live-action movies, were kind of terrifying because I thought it did not look natural at all. <laughs> and I, I wanted to talk about it for a minute because I... Did anyone really enjoy those movies? I, I mean, probably not. I, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, also, Matthew... Uh, 
Matthew Lillard, who he's the guy who plays Shaggy. Yes. Um, yeah. So he, I'm looking just at his uh, just list of movies. So 2002 had uh, Scooby Doo, 2004 Scooby Two Monsters Unleashed, uh, 2010. There was Scooby-Doo, Abracadabra Do, and Scooby-Doo Camp Scare, <laughs> where he was the voice of both. In 2011, there was Scooby-Doo Le- Legend of the Phantasaur, where he was the voice. In 2012, there was Scooby-Doo Music of the Vampire, where he was the voice. In Jesus. 2013, there was Scooby-Doo Mask of the Blue Falcon, and Scooby-Doo Adventures, the mystery map, where he was the voice. And Scooby-Doo Stage Fright, where he was the Holy. voice. <laughs> also in National Lampoon Surf Party. In 2014, there was Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery, and Scooby-Doo Frank and creepy where he was the voice in 2015 there was scooby-doo moon monster madness and scooby-doo and kiss Rock and <laughs> Mystery. in 2016 there was lego scooby-doo haunted hollywood scooby-doo and wwe curse of the speed demon and in 2017 there is scooby-doo shaggy showdown you know what man get so paid. much scooby-doo get paid is so much he has done scooby-doo and the scream movies and that's kind of it. Like, I've heard of some of the other things. Like, he was in She's All That, which is a movie that I've certainly heard of and I think I've seen, but I can't think of it right now. Uh, uh, he was in Without a Paddle. I've heard of that. Yeah, I mean, like, but bless you. Get paid, my He's man. He's almost done two Scooby-Doo movies a year. Almost. Yeah. yeah. God bless Ridiculous. You. Again, just go out. If there is one thing we want you, if you are still listening to this podcast, God bless you. Uh, if there is one thing I want everyone to take away from this edition of the pod, it's that if you can go out and get paid, go out and get paid. Um, also, uh, one last fun Scooby-Doo fact. The cast includes Sugar Ray as themselves. And on that note, uh, <laughs> thank you, as always, uh, for this listening to this edition of the podcast. Uh, please subscribe to everything that we're going to do uh, on uh, SoundCloud, on iTunes, Google Play, all that. Uh, Overcast. We're on a new one? Well, Overcast kind of just grabs them automatically, but I confirmed that we are on Overcast. Oh, sweet. So, breaking news, we're on Overcast. Uh, if you have Overcast, look for us on there, because apparently we're on there. Uh, continue to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have a Snapchat now. Uh, Nick and I made cameos on there. RLR blog, search it, you'll find us. Uh, there, there will be Friday recaps each week. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, continue to read our site, support our site, share our stuff. And again, if you purchased, uh, if you have purchased shirts from us and you wore them up to uh, State College this weekend, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. That really did mean a lot to uh, Nick and I. We, saw, we actually saw... One dude a couple rows down from us during the punting competition who was wearing a Tutty sh- uh, hoodie. And both Nick and myself like just got giddy. So seriously, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's sincerely appreciated. And if you don't have any gear to wear to football games or to spring games or just random trips, up to Happy Valley, buy some gear. Uh, we have some fun stuff coming out on the horizon I think you're really going to like. And yeah, thank you one more time for listening to this edition of the podcast for Chris Grovich. For Nick Polak, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Bye.